If you knew that Jesus Christ was going to return tomorrow, let's say, how would it affect the way you are living today? That brings us to another reason that we must embrace biblical prophecy, understand it, and realize that it is a special gift from God. Because Bible prophecy is a great motivator for living a godly life. Back to my question. If Jesus were coming tomorrow and you knew it, how would it impact today? Well, obviously it would impact the way that you're living, correct? Well, you know what? He could come tomorrow. He could be in the clouds, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ rise first, and you're alive, your body is changed, you have a resurrection body, and you head to the clouds to be with him. Your life's work here comes to an end. No longer can you do those things that will be brought before the judgment seat of Christ as a way to say thank you for this death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf. Anticipating the possibility of his return at any moment impacts how we live life, and certainly it impacts our priority system. What is really important? It impacts our perspective, doesn't it? There are things that we wouldn't do knowing they would be displeasing to him, maybe offensive to him. There are things we wouldn't do if we knew we are soon going to be face-to-face with him. But we really could be face-to-face with him at any moment by virtue of our physical death or by virtue of his return. So there are things we wouldn't do, but there are things we would do. There would be people we would talk to. We'd present the gospel. When it comes to Bible prophecy, we embrace it at a level where we're, we're going to live in light of the fact that at any moment I could be with him. I could be called to be with him in the clouds. And that really does impact us, doesn't it? Let me suggest some passages that I think really capture this truth. First John chapter 3, beginning at verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. That's, it. That's interesting, isn't it? We are God's children now, but what we will be in the future has not yet appeared. We've got a lot to look forward to. But we know that when he appears, and he will, we shall be like him. In other words, we're going to have a resurrection body. Then it says, because we shall see him as he is, in all his glory, his majesty. Now, this is, this is a passage that when we look at it, it's like, wow. He, we want to be reminded of the empty tomb. And uh, Jesus had gone back, and he's now in glory. And we're going to see him in all his glory. And then it says, and everyone who thus hopes in him, in other words, hopes for this moment that he's going to appear, purifies himself as he is pure. It's in the area of personal purity that a lot of us will be impacted by thinking of the moment that he will appear and we will give an account for our lives to him. Uh, the Apostle Peter in his first epistle, verse 3, said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And when it comes to Easter, this is this is the passage that we need to turn to as we see that we have the living hope. He has defeated death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, something we're going to receive, that is imperishable, 
It's undefiled. It's unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is talking about our salvation being complete. We're forgiven now because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his shed blood on the cross. But our full redemption comes when we receive our resurrection bodies, and we enter into the presence of the Lord, and we enjoy that which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept there in heaven for us. And then in verse 6, it says, In this, in other words, all that was just stated, that we have this incredible inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for us. This is prophecy. This is God telling us in advance what the future holds. In this, you rejoice. We can get excited now. I'm excited to think that one day this body is going to be changed to be like his body, a resurrection body. No more sickness, no more suffering, no more death. We can rejoice in that and take a lot of comfort in that even now. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now it's saying that these trials are necessary. They accomplish something. It doesn't say they're pleasant. Now one of the things it accomplishes is verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in the midst of the sufferings and the difficulties, we anticipate that moment and we're motivated to endure suffering for His glory. Now let me give you a passage that is incredibly motivating. It's one verse, but when we really understand what it's saying, it is highly motivating. The first epistle of the Apostle John. The first epistle, chapter 2, verse 28. And John says this, And now little children... Abide in him. In other words, stay connected with him, stay in relationship with him, a thriving, vibrant relationship with the Lord, so that when he appears, in other words, you keep that relationship fresh, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If he were to appear at this very moment, let me ask you. Would you have confidence? Would you be excited? Or would you shrink away from him in shame at his coming? Be honest. But prophecy is given to motivate us in light of this reality. This moment's going to take place. Would you say, yes, it's him. It's Jesus. Today is the day. Would you be confident knowing that you've been living your life for him? serving him, honoring him, anticipating his arrival? Or would it be, oh my, it's him? With a sense of shame and surprise and discomfort because you're really not prepared. So let me come back to the question I posed at the very beginning. If you knew the Lord Jesus Christ were going to return tomorrow, would you be confident and excited because you're in a relationship with him, abiding in him, you're connected with him, you're living for him, you want to honor him, or would you say, 
uh, he's coming tomorrow, as if I don't have a whole lot of time to really get my act together, to really draw close to him for me to be ready. Let's get ready. There's reason to believe we should be ready. So many things in the world. We have time for another passage that I believe really shows us how motivating Bible prophecy is. That when we know what God is going to do, what is going to happen, it motivates us today. And it's Titus chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Boy, it certainly has, hasn't it? The grace of God is seen in the death of Jesus Christ, his ignominious death by crucifixion. We see the grace of God, although he was rich for our sakes became poor, that we through his poverty, we can be rich. The grace of God, favor that we do not deserve, that he would come and be a substitute and die in our place to die for our sins. For the grace of God has appeared. That's the crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection. And it says, bringing salvation for all people. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to eternal life. It's an invitation to the people of the world. Everyone born on the face of the planet can find forgiveness in the cross, but they must appropriate the work of the cross by acknowledging their need and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him. Then it says, training us. So there's something about the grace of God we receive, the salvation that we enjoy. It says, training us, the grace of God, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. When we know what the future holds, we go into a period of training and anticipation of it. We renounce ungodliness. We're not going to do those things that are not in keeping with the very character of God. We renounce those. We renounce worldly passions. That would include any kind of illicit relationship, sinful relationship. That includes worldly passions living for the things of the world. We're told, do not love the world or the things in the world. And so we renounce that. We renounce the allurements of the world. And how are we able to do that? Well, we're motivated by what the Bible tells us the future holds. But then we also have the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us even now. And it says that we can do this because we live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And although we have a battle between the world, the flesh, and the devil attacking us on three fronts, we have the Holy Spirit empowering us, especially to overcome the flesh. The flesh longs to find fulfillment apart from God, and it takes us down a godless path. It takes us down a path of sin. It takes us down a path in which we embrace worldly passions that may give us just some temporary pleasure that is sadly an affront to God. And so we live self-controlled lives, godly lives, in this present age. In other words, there's an age now, but there's an age coming. The present age, we're, we're in a battle. The next age, we're going to be in glory. We're going to be celebrating. And then it says, verse 13, waiting for the blessed hope. That's what we're doing right now. We're waiting for the arrival of the one who is 
the blessed hope. He said he would come again. We can believe him. He is the blessed hope, and it says the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful statement, by the way, of the deity of Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. That's who he is. He is our God. He is our Savior. He is the God-man. And when he returns, he will return in all of his glory. And when we think of the Mount of Transfiguration, when he allowed his glory for a moment to be seen, and the way that his followers, his, his inner circle responded, And then when we look in the book of Revelation and we see John's description of the Lord Jesus Christ as he revealed himself to John when John was on the island at Patmos, laying out the the very future, the the final stage of, of human history. When he describes there what God is going to do to to shake this world, we see the glory of Jesus Christ will soon arrive. And when it does, we need to be ready to honor him and to praise him and to worship him and to embrace him as the one who is our great God, who is our Savior, and that's Jesus Christ.